0: Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. Imagine a world where planning your books is as fun as writing them, where plotters plot in heroic harmony and pantsers organize without overwhelm. Here's the thing, that world exists. Plotters and pantsers alike love the visual outlining and story Bible software Plotter now available both online and as a web app name the number one outlining app for productivity by Kindlepreneur plotter turns outlining and organizing your books into the creative process it's supposed to visit plotter.com/rw today that's p l o t t r.com/rw today and experience the difference yourself. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Sienna Sterling, author of the debut novel, Tell Us No Secrets. Publishers Weekly just reviewed the book, calling it a slow burn, psychological thriller filled with well-developed characters that builds to a satisfying, if unsettling, conclusion. Sienna, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, Tell Us No Secrets, how would you describe the novel?
1: Well, it is a psychological thriller. It's set in an all-girls boarding school in New England in 1970. There's also um, a running commentary from the present but it's, it centers on four students, four girls who are seniors in 1970 in this boarding school and their interrelationships, the friendships they make, the friendships that get broken, and the kind of ambiance in a boarding school like that where everybody is on each other's case the entire time, right? You eat with this with these girls, you sleep with them, you go to class with them, you go to sports with them everything you can't get away and it becomes these friendships are, become so important and they're they make tons of jealousy and anger and passion and it can lead to violence which it does in my book.
0: Well, I'm I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Tell Us No Secrets?
1: I do remember because I actually fell out with a friend of mine and I reacted so badly to that and obsessed about it so much that I thought something's kind of a little wrong here. I'm overreacting. And then it came to me because I actually went to an all-girls boarding school. That's the way it was back then. It was like channeling my teenage self. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. And it could be a very powerful story. And it's actually a story I want to tell.
0: And, and I'm curious, this falling out that you had was this was was this with an adult friend? Or, yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It was. It was not that long ago. Actually. <laughs> oh,
0: sh- those, those falling outs can like really. I mean, people like, uh, you know, people don't talk about that as much as you would think. But like, you know, the end of a friendship as an adult can really hurt.
1: It's so. It can be so painful, and then you do remember how much peer pressure and friendships and all those things shape your character when you're younger as well, and how much you need them when you're older, how important a part of life they are. And that's what I wanted to explore, actually.
0: Great. Well, I'm curious, what was your fiction writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published?
1: Well, this was my first attempt to write a novel. I had done journalism, quite a lot of it. But I didn't dare really go into fiction. Uh, I was kind of too nervous about it. And then when this came to me, I thought I actually really need to write this story. I want to write this story. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I've got to try.
0: And, and I'm, I'm curious, what, what was the, the difference or the adjustment for you? As you said, you've written a lot of nonfiction to go from that to writing a novel.
1: The adjustment is the idea of people, it's more personal, it's reading some part of your soul that, (laughs) and you're out there. And if you get slammed for it, it's so, it's like losing a friend. (laughs) It's so painful. And so it's very dangerous. It, It felt dangerous to me. And then I thought, well, come on, I gotta, I gotta take this
0: risk. That's great. Well, I'm curious, what was your writing process like as you were working on Tell Us No Secrets? Did you outline the novel before you began writing or did you just have this kind of experience, as you mentioned earlier, of kind of having this falling out and then you started thinking about high school and you just dove into the narrative? What was the writing process like for you?
1: I, I had the, there are four girls and I had their characters in my head. And I started to write. I knew somebody was going to die. I didn't know who was going to die or who would be the author of that death, so to speak. So I just wrote the, I w- focused on the characters first and then they started to take more and more shape until I understood who was going to do what to whom and when. And so I didn't really have an outline. I had it, I had. I had it in my head, but I didn't have an outline per se.
0: And I'm curious, what was kind of the, the path to publication for you once you kind of finished writing and got the manuscript to a point where you uh, wanted to submit it? How did that work for you?
1: Well, I took a major dive of <laughs> and uh, sent it to an agent. And I actually was very lucky because a friend of mine's cousin is an agent. I sent it to him and he really liked it. And then he submitted it after I worked on it for a while with him. Mm -hmm. He gave me some good advice and then submitted it.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, I was uh, very lucky. Yes, yes, I was going to say. Um, Are you working on another novel now?
1: I finished one about two weeks ago. Yeah. So that comes out next summer. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well,
0: well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are – writing their own stories or novels?
1: Okay, I think I would say don't get discouraged. That's on so many levels, but I'll do a specific level, which is when you reread your book like 25 times, you start to think, who cares about these characters? Who cares <laughs> about this plot? This is awful. What am I doing? And you can get so depressed. And I think the thing is to remember, I mean, my guess is, I'd bet a lot of money on this, that every author feels this way, that even, you know, Tolstoy probably thought, Anna Karenina, who needs her, you know, <laughs> with her, right? That after after so much reading and repetition, and you know what's coming next, and you know every sentence, you can get to the point where you where you get too involved and you need to step back and think, okay, there is a anonymous reader out there somewhere who will read it for the first time and see it differently. And that's what you have to remember, that you're not the that there are the readers who are reading it for the first not time not the 50th what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
0: And, and I'm curious, how, how did you manage that? Because, you know, some people, when they're reading something or working on something for the 50th draft, they just kind of, I don't know, zone <laughs> out. I mean, how did you kind of... Were there times where you put it away for a day or two, like you like you couldn't yeah, look at it? Yeah,
1: there were, there were times when I put it away for a day or two, absolutely. And then sometimes, and this is a horrible thing to admit, but I'd go watch some really bad made-for-TV movie, <laughs> and and some of them are very good, but some of them aren't. And I'd look at them and I'd think, Actually, this got made for a TV movie, you know, <laughs> my book. <laughs> I think my book's better than that, right? Which is kind of a horrible thing to do, but it did help.
0: That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed?
1: Uh So I'm a big Harlan Coben fan, and I read Wynn. I like his characters. I like his sense of humor. I like his plots. I just think he's very good. And I also just recently read uh, Leanne Moriarty, the uh, Big Little Lies author, very famous. But I wanted to read one of her be- beginning novels. I think it was her second or third. And it was called What Alice Forgot. And it was really clever, a really interesting premise. And it was interesting for me to see. She's obviously written so much now, but what she was like at the beginning of her career.
0: That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel, Tell Us No Secrets?
1: Uh, well, I'm on Instagram, Sienna underscore Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, and I have a website, Sienna Sterling.
0: Wonderful. .com. Well Well, again, we've been speaking with Sienna Sterling, author of the new novel, Tell Us No Secrets. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Sienna, thanks for doing this interview.
2: Thanks, Jeff. It's been great. Wonderful. She sent me a friend request. Usually I get stupidly excited by one of those. Someone out there wants to get in touch. At my age, anything unexpected that doesn't involve disease or death is a relief. So unless it's from some random weird person, a friend request is a plus. But when I saw her name, I winced. Why had she contacted me after all this time? Almost 50 years had passed since I last saw her. I know that school ties, especially at a boarding school, are strong ones. We spent four years together in classrooms, on sports fields, in dormitories. Four years seeing each other every day and every night. Four teenage years cooped up like chickens in a pen. We all got to know each other much too well. Yet our class has been a ghost class. It's been as if we never existed. Not for us, the are you married, do you have children, what job do you have, you're looking great, staples of school reunion banter. The Stony Bridge School for Girls graduating class of 1970 never had a class reunion. We effectively disappeared ourselves. We all wanted to forget. So why look me up on Facebook? Why now? She didn't have a photo of herself, just one of those shady outlines. I stared at her name. What did she want? Trying to envision her as a 66-year-old woman, all I could see was the girl in the blue and green plaid uniform and those heavy brown lace-up Oxford shoes. I saw her in the classroom, in the gym, in the dining hall, sitting on the bus as we went off to a dance or a school excursion. Whatever had happened to her, she was, in my mind, still at Stony Bridge and still a teenager felt as if a laser beam had focused on the part of my memory that contained those years, shining its light, releasing all those particular neurons and setting them flying. I was back in New England. I was back at Stony Bridge School for Girls. Our campus was on the outskirts of Lenox, Massachusetts, a typical small New England town that would have been indistinguishable from other small New England towns, if there hadn't been a famous classical music festival held there every summer. Tanglewood was renowned and drew cultured visitors from all over the country, though because it was only a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Manhattan, it was an especial favorite of New Yorkers. Set in the midst of the Berkshire Mountains, Lennox was the perfect place for classical music lovers gathering on a warm summer evening to hear conductors like Leonard Bernstein make their magic. Stony Bridge itself was smallish with its 120 students and looked exactly as a boarding school for girls should look. Red brick buildings covered with ivy surrounded a courtyard that had a square of grass and a tree in the middle of it. One of the red brick buildings had been converted into a gym. Another was designated for classrooms, a third for the dining hall, school offices, and senior room, and the fourth for dorms and an infirmary, it was a self-contained organism with students constantly crisscrossing the courtyard. The only time we left during the week was to go to the sports field, which were a few minutes' walk away, or to go into town. Because it came alive in the summer, Lennox had a few shops most small towns didn't. There were two closed doors, a pharmacy, a coffeehouse aptly called the cafe, and a record store that stocked the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix, as well as Brahms and Beethoven. Girls at Stonybridge were allowed to go into town on weekends and two weekdays after sports, provided they signed out, went in pairs or larger groups, and stayed only an hour before signing back in. One weekend every two months, we could go home if we chose to. But we also had a required number of school outings on Saturdays, expeditions to a place of historical or geographical interest. And once every six weeks or so, we'd be shipped off in a bus to a boys' boarding school for a dance. In town, we'd hang out in the cafe or the record store, feeling a little liberated and a touch more adult. If a dance was on the horizon, we might try the shops for clothes, but they were aimed at women, not teenagers. So generally, we made fun of the clothes and left quickly. Academic excellence was not a requirement. You went to Stony Bridge if you couldn't get into a school like Madeira or Miss Porter's or if your mother had gone there and it was a family tradition. It wasn't a Swiss finishing school. We weren't taught manners or how to walk with the right posture. But we weren't supposed to worry about our future careers either. Careers were for men.